Heavenly Father, we thank you for the season of Advent uh, to help us to prepare uh, for the coming of your Son, uh, for his second coming when he comes to judge the world. And we thank you for your word that encourages us and warns us and enables us to, do, to be prepared for that day. And we pray now that as we come to uh, look at your word together, uh, that you will indeed uh, be doing that for us. Uh, we pray that your spirit will enable me to preach your word rightly and faithfully and in his power. And we pray that your spirit will work in each one of our hearts and that we might respond rightly uh, to, to Jesus and in loving and following him. And we ask this, Lord, in his name. Amen. Please have a seat. And can you please turn with me to Psalm 1? Uh, Psalm 1 in your Bibles. And I'll tell you the page number. It's page 533. Page 533. Psalm 1. We're doing, uh, uh, we'll be doing the first four psalms in the Psalter uh, uh, during Lent this year. So when you've got page 533, can I also ask if you could take your bulletin uh, and find the center page of the bulletin, uh, because there there is an outline uh, of where we're going in the sermon. It would be helpful to have that. I'll be following it fairly closely. Uh, it would be helpful to be able to uh, see uh, what's going on there as well. Life is a journey. There are good times and hard times. There are highs and there are lows. There are joys and there are sorrows. And a journey has a destination. Someone describes two paths leading to two destinations. There is the way of the righteous and there is the way of the wicked. It's placed here as an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. The whole Psalter actually takes us on a journey. And in that journey, there are times of great joy and gladness. There are times of frustration and lament. But it all ends in Psalm 150 with a great call to praise. Psalm 1 is the opening psalm of the book. And it shows us the right track for the journey. Because if you're not on the right track, if you're not on the right path, then, then everything else in the Psalms don't really apply to you because the Psalms are the prayers for those who are on this path, the path of the righteous, who are seeking to live God's way. And as we read this Psalm, we will see that God's way is indeed the best way to live. The Psalm opens with the words, Blessed is the man. And so this psalm is about the man who is blessed. Now, of course, this is a specific man, but he can represent anyone, male or female, who is under God's blessing uh, in this way. Uh, the psalm personifies people under blessing as this, as this individual man, this righteous man, and we will see maybe why later. Being blessed here doesn't mean that this man always feels cheerful or ecstatic. doesn't mean he doesn't go through times of great turmoil and pain. But it does mean that he is blessed, that is, he is happy, he is satisfied, he is content, he is in a good place. He knows that he enjoys God's favor. 
He knows that God is smiling on him, that God is pleased with him, that God is treating him in a, in a positive kind of way, like he treated the man and woman in the Garden of Eden. He blessed them. He's experiencing the joy of God's blessing. Now, as we look at this psalm, we will see three things about this, this righteous one. We will see, uh, if you look at the outline, we will see in 2a what the righteous one does. And we will see that the righteous one keeps away from wickedness but delights in God's word. And then after that, we will see what the righteous one is like, what he's like now. And we will see that, that he is fruitful and prosperous. And then we'll see what that means. And then after that, we will see what happens to the righteous one in the end. And we will see that, that he'll be vindicated on the day of judgment. And then we will ask, who is this righteous one? And see how we can live the life of the righteous as well. And we will see in all this that God's way, the way of the righteous, truly is the best way to live. So point 2a, what the righteous one does. There are two things about the righteous one's behavior in this psalm. He keeps away from wickedness and he delights in God's word. We see his separation from wickedness there in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, there might be a progression here, isn't there, in terms of getting progressively comfortable with sin, walking, standing, then sitting. Ah, but this is much more strong when we, when we see how the wrong way to live is described. Because it starts by accepting the advice and the influence of the wrong people, the counsel of the wicked. And then conforming to their behavior and their habits, the walking in the way of sinners. And then finally, to their attitude which ridicules or mocks God's way, the seat of scoffers. But the righteous man keeps away from all this. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The big influence on his life is, is not the advice, the behavior, or the attitudes of the world. It is instead the word of God. And the righteous man is passionate about God's word. We see that in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, the part of God's Word that is directly referred to here is the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, because well, that was the part of the Bible written at the time. And the righteous one doesn't just read the Torah, he loves it. He enjoys it. He takes pleasure in it. He delights in it. You see, God's Word is God's speech to us. It's, it, it's a communication to us. It's, it's a connection. And the righteous one is passionate about God's Word because he's passionate about God. And so he meditates on it day and night. Now, in the Bible, to meditate is not to empty your mind like in the Eastern religions. It is to mull over something, to repeat it, usually aloud, sometimes below the breath, sometimes silently, but importantly, to think it through. And that's what the righteous does with God's Word. He meditates on it day and night. Not all day, all night, as if he doesn't do anything else, but day and night. In other words, he keeps coming back to it. Because he wants his life to be saturated with God's word. He loves God. He wants God's word to be the guiding influence in his life. 
And he knows that the influence of the world is strong. The world will want to make him listen to its counsel, to walk in its ways, and eventually to end up scoffing against God and his word. And so he purposely, deliberately, and happily builds God's word into his life. The righteous man keeps away from wickedness and delights in God's word because he knows that to live by God's word is the best way to live. The psalm then paints an attractive picture of what the righteous one is like. He is fruitful and prosperous. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Now in Malaysia, we have plenty of rain, isn't it? And so our trees are always green. But in drier places, that's not so. And whether or not a plant is fruitful and whether its leaves are healthy and green depends a lot on the weather. And if the rain doesn't come, it doesn't produce its fruit at the right time and its leaves, that they wither. But if a tree is planted by streams of water, ha, then no problem. It always has a water supply. And so it's not dependent upon the weather. And the righteous one, the psalm says, is like that tree. He's always soaked by God's word. He's always nourished by it. And because he's always watered with God's word, the fruit that he produces is not dependent on the events or the circumstances of the people he's around. In good times and in hard times, he's flourishing. He's still producing the fruit of righteousness in its season. In all he does, verse 3 continues, he prospers. Or in other words, God gives him success. Now, we often get worried when we see the word prosper, don't we? Because there are false teachers around who tell us that God wants all Christians to be rich. And if we are obedient or we believe, and then somehow or other opens up that blessing and, we, we, and, and there's a promise of, of, of great material blessing if we only tap into it. And they use the words prosper or prosperity. But this is not what the psalm is talking about here. What is success? What is prosperity? Well, in Israel's context, there was indeed a strong material component to God's blessing because that's where they were up to in salvation history. God's kingdom was expressed as God's people in God's place under his blessing and rule, isn't it? And God's people were a political nation. And God's place was a, a literal piece of land that was the model of the kingdom to come. And so God's blessing was expressed in the success of the kingdom of Israel. And the success of the kingdom of Israel was indeed tied to the political and economic success of the nation in the land. But that is not the case for us anymore. That is the model we are in the reality. The true kingdom has come in Christ. God's people are all those who trust in Jesus. God's place is in Christ as we look forward to his place in the new creation. We have been given every spiritual blessing in him. And so success for us in kingdom terms is not this kingdom, but this kingdom. And success in this kingdom involves the advancement of the gospel. It involves seeing us and others grow in the image and likeness of Christ. And God grants success to the righteous one in kingdom terms. In all he does, he prospers. And that success doesn't depend on the circumstances, but, but on God's faithfulness. The righteous one is fruitful 
and prosperous. On the other hand, in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, when I was in school, we learned about paddy farming in Standard 4 Geography. I wonder if anyone here remembers Standard 4 Geography. Uh, one of the things that we learned uh, was that after the harvest, uh, the farmers would, would take the harvested paddy and would throw it in the air when it was windy. Uh, and then what would happen is the paddy that really had the, the, the rice inside would drop to the ground and the empty husk would be blown away by the wind. Oh, they probably do it by machine nowadays. Uh, but in the day of still doing it that way? With a fan. Ah, okay, with a big fan now. That's a, that's a clever way of doing it, isn't it? Well, in the days of the psalmist, they, they, they sorted out the wheat harvest in a very similar way. And the wicked, the psalm says, are like the chaff that the wind drives away. They are mixed up with the righteous at the moment, but eventually they'll be separated from that which is useful and valuable and fruitful. And when will that happen? Well, it happens at the end. Because we see in verse 5 that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. No matter how successful or otherwise they may seem in worldly terms now, the wicked will not make it past the time of judgment. They will fall. Which brings us to that last point of those three. What happens to the righteous one in the end? Well, we are told in verse 6 that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, knowing here is not just knowing about, you know, I know about Barack Obama, I know about, you know, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, but knowing is not like that. Knowing here is the fact that, that God is the just judge who, who recognizes who the righteous one is, and he makes sure that he's vindicated in the end. He knows those who are his. And so the righteous one may suffer now, but God sees, God knows, and in the end, he'll make sure he's right. And God knows, so you can trust God with that. The righteous one will not perish in the end. On the other hand, it says that the way of the wicked shall perish. The way of bad company, which leads to bad behavior and then bad attitude to God, leads in the end to perishing. Remember John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his own son, only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, in the New Testament, perish is the opposite of having eternal life. And we see that the way of the wicked is the way that doesn't go to eternal life. It is the way of death. It is the way that leads to hell itself. And where does the way of the righteous lead? Well, we need to go back to verse 5 to see where the wicked do not go. Look at verse 5. They will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So where does the righteous one end up after the judgment? In the congregation, in the gathering of God's people. 
And again, from a New Testament perspective, we see that after the resurrection of the dead, after the final judgment, there is the dwelling of God with His people. And His people are those from every nation and language and tribe. And they're gathered around the throne, enjoying God's presence and glory forever. That is that congregation, that final gathering of those who truly belong to God. And in the end, that is where the righteous end up. The congregation of the righteous or the perishing of the wicked. Now let us ask the question, who is the righteous one? Who is this righteous one? Well, as we look at the Old Testament, we see God calling his people over and over again to live the way of the righteous one. Israel was meant to walk that way. And they were meant to be led by a king who would lead them in walking that way. And so many years before the monarchy was actually set up, God anticipated its coming. And through Moses, he gave instructions on how the king should live. At the end of Deuteronomy 17, he says the king should make a copy of the law and he should read all the days of his life and be careful to obey. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, when Joshua is going to take over from Moses, God says to him, as in our Old Testament reading tonight, in verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Do you see the similarity to the psalm? But you know, Israel's kings generally didn't do this. By and large, they neglected God's word. They took their advice from the wicked. They followed them in their evil. They ended up scoffing at God. And the nation followed their kings. And they failed to be as successful in their, as an expression of God's kingdom. And when the day came for judgment... They perished as a nation. And yet the Advent hope was this, that one day God would send them a king. Their Advent hope was that one day God would send them a king who would truly walk in the way of righteousness. A king who would truly exemplify that righteous one. A king who would lead them in the way of righteousness. O come, O come, Emmanuel, come. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. And at the first Christmas, Jesus came. And Jesus is the one who truly fits perfectly the description of this righteous man. He's the only perfectly righteous one who ever lived. And he was truly blessed. Throughout his life, he always knew that he enjoyed God's favor. And the father was smiling on him, was pleased with him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus always kept himself from wickedness. There was no sin in him. Jesus truly delighted in God's law. He loved to obey his Father's will. He did so from the heart, not like the Pharisees. 
And he must have soaked, it in, soaked himself in it, for, for he used it proficiently to teach his disciples, to answer his enemies, to defeat the tempter. And so his communion with the Father and his godly behavior was not dependent on his circumstances. He carried on faithfully the, the, the will of his Father when the crowds thronged to him and when the crowds deserted him. His strength was not drawn from them, but from God's word. And he was successful in carrying out the kingdom work that he was given to do. Oh, to human point of view, it looks like he's not successful. He's rejected by everyone, ends up dying on the cross. But, but he was successful in kingdom terms, wasn't he? He lived that perfect life. He died for our sins in our place on the cross. He rose again. As he went through the judgment first on our behalf. And then remember what happened? God vindicated him in the end. God the Father really did know his ways. And he raised him from the dead, vindicated. The first of all who will be in that congregation of the righteous. Who is the righteous one? Well, the one who perfectly fits the bill is Jesus. So then what about us? Well, the New Testament also teaches that those who belong to Jesus, those who trust Him, are considered by God to be righteous as well. That is, we're united with Him spiritually by faith. And when united with Jesus, He takes our sins. He pays for them on the cross. We share in His righteousness. And so, Jesus, the truly righteous one, and we are righteous in Him. We are considered blessed. We enjoy God's favor. The Father is smiling on us. For in Christ, God is pleased with us. And we will end up in the congregation of the righteous in that last day, not because of us, but, but because of him. But Jesus didn't just come to live the perfect life on our behalf and to die for us. He came to be our king. And King Jesus came to lead us, his people, in that way of righteousness in which he walked. And those who are truly his people will indeed follow him in that righteous way. And so in this last point, we consider how we, following Jesus, are to walk in the way of the righteous as well. And how do we do that? Well, the psalm tells us, doesn't it? Keep away from wickedness and delight in God's word. Keep away from wickedness and delight in God's word. That is what the righteous one does. Falling into wickedness is a danger, isn't it? You start by, by, by listening to the advice of the ungodly ones, and you start behaving in ungodly ways, and then just justify ourselves, we, we end up scoffing at God and His ways, and, and then we perish in the end. Beware the danger, friends. And if you see yourself anywhere along this path of danger, then, then take heed and turn back. Look to Jesus Find forgiveness in his righteousness. Then follow this righteous one by keeping away from wickedness. And follow him by delighting in God's word. Read it, reflect on it, memorize it, recite it, chew on it day and night. Let your mind be renewed by this word so that your way of thinking is, is constantly being challenged and corrected by the word. 
Because there's so much out there that will seek to influence us to walk in the ways of the world. But if we fill our minds with God's word, that will help us get a right perspective on things. Now, how can we go about doing that? Well, there's so many different ways. Let me throw you just a few suggestions. Nothing beats simply reading the Bible, doesn't it? You might want to choose a book of the Bible and read it slowly and carefully, maybe one chapter at a time. Or you might want to read large chunks uh, without stopping to try and work out the things you don't understand. Just keep reading and just ask, what can I learn about God's character from the bigger picture of what's happening here? You can read it in hard copy. You can read it electronically. You can even get editions for the smartphone that will read it for you. Read the Bible. We've just started putting our sermons online. Why not listen to the Sunday sermon again? Uh, that way, halfway through the week, you get reinforcement about what you learned on Sunday. Or you could listen to another one, a different one, while you're driving or, or traveling in the LRT. Uh, last year around this time, I sent an email to everyone with a link to devotional uh, readings for Advent. And I plan to send another one this year with a very similar set of readings. It, it looks almost the same, but actually it's a different set. All right? So look out for that. I'll ask for a link to be put on the website uh, for us as well. And if you don't have a daily Bible reading system, well, that might be a good place to start. How about joining a Bible study group? If you want some help to find one, just fill a blue card and drop it in the Postbex box and someone on the pastoral team will try and help you find one. If you can't do it now, how about trying to order your life so that in 2016 you're able to join a group? Or decide to do a Bible course in February when Tuesday night training starts again. Bible overview is a good place to start. On the other hand, for some people, it might be their next step is just to go and visit Jessica in the book corner after church and make sure you have a Bible at home in a clear, readable translation. And then just begin to read it. Now, what you can do is get one of those little 555 booklets right, and make, you just read, maybe start with Mark's Gospel or something like that, and then you, anything you don't understand, you just write down in the booklet. Right? And then when you come on Sunday... Ask someone on the pastoral team after church at the, at the at, you know, when we're drinking coffee and tea, ask someone, what is the meaning? All right? Or if no one on the pastoral team, is, or they, can, they can just point you to someone else who, who will know uh, what is the meaning and who can explain to you. And we can just talk. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Uh, you may want to commit sections of the Bible to memory. Or you might want to take passages and just work them over. Repeating them over and again, thinking about it, working out how to apply it. You could even start with this psalm. But whatever you do, get into God's Word. Delight in God's Word because you delight in Him. Yesterday I was at a graduation ceremony for uh, people who were getting certificates in, in theology and, and many people came and gave their testimonies how God had used uh, these courses to, to, to change them. And, and one lady said something like this. She said, I did the Bible overview course because I had all the pearls and I wanted the string to hold them together. I got that, but even more importantly, I met the maker of the chain. Friends, delight in God's word because you delight in him. If the psalmist delighted in the law, how much more are we to delight in the word of the gospel that brings freedom and forgiveness and life? Love God because he first loved you and gave his son to save you. Therefore, listen to his word. Seek to obey him. 
Live this way and you will be fruitful and successful in kingdom terms now. That is, God will use you for his glory and change you to make you more like Christ. And on the day of judgment, you'll be vindicated by his grace and end up with all God's people in the congregation of the righteous forever. For brothers and sisters, God's way is indeed the best way to live. Let's pray. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the perfectly righteous one, Thank you that he never fell into evil, that he loved your law, that he obeyed you perfectly. Thank you that he was successful in completing the mission that you gave him to do. Thank you for vindicating him, for knowing his way, for raising him from the dead. Thank you that he is our King and our Lord. That he has saved us. And he has called us to walk in his paths. The way of the righteous. That he has called us to love him and to follow him. And so as his disciples, may we walk that way. May we be people who turn away from evil, who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. May we delight in your word. May we find joy in your gospel, because we love you. Help us, we pray, to live your way because we know that your way is the best way to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.